Blog Talk Radio. From Live in the Balance, the nonprofit organization committed to advocating on behalf of behaviorally challenging kids and their caregivers, this is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs live each Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help challenging students and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach in your classroom and your school. If you have a question or comment, call 646-727-2691. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about challenging kids and how we can help them. Hello there. Welcome to today's program. Um, Another edition of Collaborative Problem Solving at School. I may be changing the name of the program, by the way. Um, Collaborative Problem Solving at School uh, served us well for a while, but who knows? Maybe not for much longer. Um, I'll go into much more detail about that someday. But for now, I'm glad that you are listening in today. Um, Today is a great day to call in if you are somebody who is the type who calls in. Um, That number again is 646-727-2691. And um, got a bunch of email to answer today, so I'm going to jump in with that, but do feel free to um, call in and ask a question about an individual student, um, implementing Plan B in your building, using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. Uh, Quite frankly, that is what this program is for. We often have special features on this program as well. Anytown Elementary, we think we'll be starting in December. Not quite sure about that. We've run into some snags, but uh, that should be starting in December. We're going to check in with the folks at Anytown High School at some point between now and then. We, of course, have our educators panel on the first Monday of every month, and we're going to start talking with some of the um, leaders in the schools in Maine Uh, which have been implementing the model and have been doing extremely well by it, Uh, that's coming up as well. But uh, today is a great time for callers and a great day for me to answer some emails. So here's the first. Uh, Hello, Dr. Green. I have a seventh-grade child with a lot of anger. He is defiant and disrespectful in my resource room. He's very difficult to talk to, as he can't sit still long enough to do problem-solving. He will make comments like, aren't I the worst kid you ever have? And you can't handle me. Makes me feel weak as I try to reach him and try to understand him. However, he will not allow me to help. What do I do? Great question. Thank you for emailing in. What do you do? Well, the first thing um, I would say you do is try to get a handle on why he is so hyperactive. Um, 
come across some kids recently. You're saying he can't sit still long enough to do problem solving. Uh, that exists. And if a kid can't sit still uh, long enough to do problem solving with him, then we got to figure out what that's about because he can't sit still long enough for you to do problem solving with him. And um, there are some kids, thankful and not tons, but some who are too hyperactive, too impulsive, can't sit still long enough for you to actually have the conversation with them. Now, the one part of your email, part of your question that I might take slight issue with is that you're saying um, he will not allow me to help. Actually, we don't know if he'll allow you to help yet because he's too hyperactive to access the help that you're trying to give him yet. There are some kids who you have to understand and deal effectively with the activity level before you're going to be able to see a great deal of progress, if any, uh, implementing the collaborative resolution of problems. Not only that, a lot of problems can fall by the wayside. A lot of problems that you might have thought you had to work on can fall by the wayside once uh, a child's hyperactivity is dealt with effectively. And yes, it's true. Uh, um, among the most common ways in which hyperactivity is dealt with successfully is through medication. That's true. Um, is this a kid who would benefit from medication? Um, you'll have to get somebody to help you figure that out. But as so long as he's but, but a lot of kids, once the hyperactivity is satisfactorily addressed through medication or through whatever other means, a lot of the unsolved problems that we thought we were going to have to solve, we don't have to solve them anymore because the medication took care of them. Um, that's what I'd say. I'm just tweeting now because I forgot to tweet before the program. So I'm going to send a tweet. It says, Collaborative Problem Solving at School is on the air live. Listen in. Call in. 646-727-2691. Let me add the uh, Lives in the Balance website for people who don't want to call in. We're going to, you know what? We never get callers on this program. And by golly, I'm going to try to get some callers to them. to keep tweeting the phone number until somebody calls. We're going to see how effective social media is right here and now. Uh, let's see if we can get somebody to call. I'm going to, um, if we don't get a caller, we're going to tweet again. I've finally decided, you know what, enough of this no callers on this program. I understand that it's at a terrible time of day um, for just about everybody, but we're going to get a caller on this program today. At least that's my goal. Here's another question. Hi, Ross. I certainly agree with the kids do well if they can philosophy. I just want to know if this philosophy originated with you or if it is based on another theory or philosophy in any way. Let me finish this. I'm looking something up just because I'm wanting to make sure. Um, hang on. 
I'm getting my names right before I step out on a limb here. Um, I was providing an overview of the CPS approach to a daycare association, and a person there asked me this question, and I didn't have an answer. So I'm looking forward to your response so I can relate it to them. I haven't come across the answer anywhere on the Lives and Balance website or in your books that I can recall. Okay, here we go. I'm the first person that I know of to say it in the kids do well if they if they can way. Um, but there are other people who have felt that um, people do well if they can, and they didn't say it exactly like that. Um, the old debates between Rousseau and Locke, and this is what I'm looking up online just to make sure that I say it right, because um, I, I always forget who thought people were innately good and who thought people were innately bad. If you know the answer to that question, I'm trying to look it up online right now because I never remember who thought what. Call into the program, that number, 646-727-2691. We need somebody who knows. If I don't find it before you call in, we're going to get somebody to call in today. Um, let us know who, I've got individual versus collectivism, individualism versus collectivism. One of these guys, though, said that humans were innately good, and the other said that humans were innately bad. So in a second, I'm not even going to keep looking this up online. I'm going to wait till somebody calls in to give us the answer. 646-727-2691. Somebody tell us whether it was Rousseau, who I think is who it was, or Locke, who thought that humans were innately good. The Another person, the other, thought that humans were innately bad, unless I've got the two names completely wrong, in which case um, I'm going to look like a complete fool. Maybe it was, um, I don't know, Belichick and Parcells. One thought people, football players were innately good, the other innately bad. But now let's get serious. Kids do well, if, so I'm not the first to say that I think People do well if they can. I am the first that I know of to put it that way. And, of course, imitation is the, what's the expression now? Imitation is the severest form of flattery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some people who have, have adapted that or adopted it and claiming it is original, but, uh, um, well, Kids do all if they can, as far as I can tell. Uh, that was
is indeed lacking skills is to engage them in a discussion about the child's lagging skills. And if you want to go further, engage them also in a discussion about the unsolved problems that are flowing from those lagging skills. Now you really got them, because it's true. You know what I do after each radio program is I send people an email telling them that their question was answered on the program. They seem to appreciate that. Dr. Green, how does one get a school involved in this? This is from a parent. Just to tell you what the stakes are, I guess I could have put this on a parent program, but sometimes I like to throw parents' voices into the educator program because, well, because... That call-in number again, 646-727-2691. Somebody's going to call in just to get me to stop saying that. We'll see. Dr. Green, how does one get a school involved in this? I am a strong believer that if my daughter was handled the way you describe at school, her life and mine would be much better. Probably not going to have to convince me of that. My daughter lights up the tree on your questionnaire, and trying to get a school to acknowledge let alone do the right thing, is impossible. I've tried everything, including legal steps, to no avail with her last school. Now she's in a new school and in middle school and having a very hard time adapting. I'm trying to get them to approach my daughter using your problem-solving approach. My daughter is very unique in some of her issues, and I'm very worried that if she does not get the right assistance in school, she will drop out of school the minute she is able to. Well, one thing, um, I'm not exactly sure where you're located, but um, let me know where you're located, and we'll see if we can help out. Now, here's the thing about lives in the balance. Um, we don't have a boatload of money, but if somebody needs us, we're going to bend over backwards to make sure they get what they need because the stakes are so high. We don't do it to raise money. We do it to help. This isn't a show. This is the real McCoy. That's why we do it. So to our emailer, maybe Lies in the Balance can play a role. We'll certainly try to do whatever we can. Now, sounds like you've been through the mill, and I'm very sorry about that, but it sounds like you've been through the mill. Um, but she's in a new school. And I, you did say that she's having a hard time adapting, but, and you also said that you're trying to get them to approach her using my problem-solving approach. So how's it going? Are they in the least receptive? Because all you've got to really do, well, this is the beginning, is get past the are they the least bit receptive part, and then there is a massive array of resources available for um helping them understand the model better. Just massive. Beginning with the Lives in the Balance website, where they will find just a treasure trove of free information on this model. I wonder if they're not receptive. I wonder if there's somebody in the building who could help you figure out how to make this happen. I'm always recommending to parents that they find 
one person in the building who they think will be sympathetic and ask that person for guidance about how to approach this in the building. Um, there's my book, Lost at School. There's consultation services that are provided by uh, some of my other operations. Those aren't free because I have to pay people to do them. I don't make any money on them, but i got to pay other people who do need to make a living that way. Um, so there's lots of different ways in which I might be able to offer help, but new school sounds good. Trying to uh, get them to approach it a certain way sounds good. Let's not let the experience in the prior school color your notions about this school. Perhaps what you experienced in the other school will um, help you approach this one in a way that is potentially more productive. I have no idea. It's possible that this school is going to be equally uh, not receptive. I guess you'll find out. Maybe there's somebody in the building who can help you um, navigate, know who to talk to, know who's going to be most receptive. Who knows? Maybe there's somebody in the building who's been to one of my talks or read Lost at School. Um, And feel free to call into the program if you need more help. 646-727-2691. 646-727-2691. Is it possible that there is no way to get somebody to call in to the program? I've tweeted twice. I've said the number five or six times. I don't know. I think I know how this mom feels now, trying to make something happen and seeing that it's not happening anyways. Let's not give up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up on your daughter's school implementing this model. I'm not giving up on having somebody call into the program. Even if they don't call in today, maybe they'll call in tomorrow. That's my mentality. 646-727-2691. Let's move on to another set of questions here. Hang on just a second. Let me pull it up. Uh, Hi, Dr. Green. I have seen you speak a couple of times and have used the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems with some success over the past few years. My job has changed significantly, and I am now working primarily with students who are diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders and would be considered lower functioning and who have violent tendencies. I believe that the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is still a beneficial tool to use with these students in order to help understand them in a new light, but I am wondering about using Plan B with students who are unable to communicate. Am I right in assuming that Plan B for those students would be to discuss the issue among the staff who work with that student, try it, and then reevaluate? Well, if I understand you correctly, you're asking if we would not involve the student in the plan B 
um, because we believe that the student is not able to participate in Plan B. That's my interpretation of your question because you are saying that they are unable to communicate. Okay, so I think I've interpreted it accurately. But um, here's what I have found about students who are, quote, unquote, unable to communicate. They're communicating. It's not that they're not communicating. They are communicating. Somehow they're communicating. The hard part is they're not doing it in words, which is the adult preference. But it's not that they're not communicating because they are. I've never met a kid. And I've worked with some very low-functioning kids. I don't like the expression, but as long as you used it. Every kid communicates. The ones who people tell me aren't communicating are the ones that aren't communicating in words. So now... Does the fact that a kid doesn't communicate in words tell us that the kid cannot participate in Plan B? No. You can do Plan B with a kid who doesn't communicate. How? Well, um, you, you might need to use pictures, as many speech and language therapists do, to communicate and help kids communicate about lots of different things. Um, we communicate with kids who don't communicate in words about lots of different things without using words to do it. Some kids use sign, another form of words, of course, but they're not using a spoken word. And some kids use pictures. Some people use gestures. Some people point. Some people grunt, growl, all forms of communication, none words. Now the question is, can we help the child communicate with us in pictures about three things in particular? Unsolved problems. Can we depict unsolved problems in pictures? Yes, we can. Concerns about those unsolved problems. Can we help a kid communicate about concerns in pictures? Yes, we can. Solutions. Can we help kids think about solutions, participate in the selection of solutions using pictures? Yes, we can. What if the student has no concept whatsoever of what a problem is, and so all of this communicating in picture stuff just has no meaning to the kid whatsoever? Well, there are some basic skills we might need to teach, and we might need to start labeling certain things as problems so that the student, so that we can begin creating the file or the folder for problems. Um, so that the student knows what we're referring to when we're talking with the student about problems. Uh, sometimes you have to build in a basic category called solutions so that the student knows that that's what we are trying to come up with when we're working together, solutions. 
all kinds of things that we could do that speech and language therapists do all the time to move a child from their current level of functioning to the next highest level of functioning. All kinds of things. Now, what if none of that is possible yet? Should we then try to do our best job of reading the cues the kid is giving us, just like we would with an infant? And that's who I usually talk about it this way with, is infants. Um, If a child cannot communicate with us at all, then we are in infant mode. But here's what I always say. We... Infants have unsolved problems. Infants have concerns about unsolved problems. Infants, we collaborate with infants. Not what it looks like in the videos on the Lives in the Balance website, but we do it all the time. And so the type of child who you're describing sounds like, well, I don't know. You'd be the judge. Autism spectrum disorder doesn't tell me anything And I don't know if this child's communication skills are so lacking. And I'm not just talking about no words here. I'm talking about not able to communicate anything. And so now we've set the bar not only quite low, but quite... Non-communicative past the point that infants are non-communicative. Infants are extremely communicative. But if we aren't to the point where we can help the student communicate with us yet, then yes, we do need to read the signs just like we would with an infant. We do need to pay close attention, use our excellent powers of observation to try to figure out what it is that's causing the child difficulty, just like we would with an infant what the child's concerns might be, just like we would with an infant. What potential solutions would be, just like we would with an infant. But infants are about as uncommunicative as it gets, and infants are communicative. And I haven't met a kid yet whose level of communication was below that of an infant So I think we're still in the game on solving problems collaboratively. How much information we'll get from the student, well, I don't know. Hi, Dr. Green. I am an associate principal at a high school in Washington State. I'd like to do a book study with my staff on your book, Lost at School. Outstanding. I would very much appreciate any suggestions you could offer me on the best way to conduct this book study. Your book fits in perfectly with some of the changes going on in my school. We are also integrating uh, some other materials, and I think your work dovetails quite nicely with that. Um, Here's the nice news. Uh, There have been some book studies going on in various parts of North America on Lost at School, And Lives in the Balance wants to help you do your book study. 
so uh, we have tapped into some of the people who are doing book studies throughout North America, and we're drawing up a basic outline, a basic format to guide you in your book study of Lost at School. So um, we'll post that on the Lives in a Balance website, hopefully within the next month or so. And um, then we'll be there, and that'll be your guide. And I think that will be much better for you than anything I might say on the program right now. Um, If, once again, and this would be a far way to come for somebody from Washington State, but um, I'm making sure that everybody knows about this because it is enrolling very quickly. And I got this bad feeling that the second annual Lives in the Balance Conference is going to be fully enrolled within the next two weeks. I mean, it's on November 16th, but we've only had enrollment open for two weeks. And um, we're we're half full, which is why I'm saying that in another two weeks, today is October 22nd, there won't be any place to sit, which is extremely gratifying that people are finding this model and the work so important. And as you may know, our second annual conference is going to be primarily focused on implementation of the model at school And the features are educators from the buildings in which the model has been implemented school-wide in the state of Maine. Um, Very exciting, and some very exciting presentations planned, very exciting data to share, very exciting stories to be told, Um, stories of kids who would not have been in their schools anymore, had they not been implementing this model. Data that is extraordinarily impressive. Keynote speakers, Richard Ross, as I mentioned on the last radio program, I believe a photographer from University of California at Santa Barbara who has been funded by the Annie E. Casey Foundation to document through photography what things are like in juvenile prisons in North America. He's going to get the day started, and I hope not on a, well, I I will say it will be on a sobering note, but it will remind us of what the stakes are. The stakes are high. Then our second keynote speaker, how often do you get two two keynote speakers? But, well, they're both great. Uh, Barry Studley, who's the Associate Commissioner for Juvenile Services in the state of Maine, Department of Corrections, he's going to tell us all about what's been going on in Maine's system of juvenile detention that I believe has made it a shining star for juvenile detention systems throughout the United States and throughout the world. So that will be part of the answer. And then for the rest of the morning and the rest of the day, people are going to be hearing about, participants are going to be hearing about what schools in Maine are doing to solve the problem. And then, especially in the afternoon, if you're interested in implementing collaborative problem solving in your building, um, you'll be receiving guidance from people who have lived it and can tell you how they did it and you can learn from them. There you have it. 
Uh, you can register for the conference on the Lives in the Balance website, www.livesinthebalance.org. And like I said, um, hurry, because I think it's going to be full. I was under the impression that we had capacity for 500 people. I learned this morning that that may have been an ex- a mistaken impression. It may be less than that. So now you really got to hurry. I've also become convinced that we are not going to have anybody call into today's program, but not to despair. Uh, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. If your child's school has been having a hard time implementing collaborative problem solving, try, try again. If you work in a school and your school has been having trouble moving in this direction, by golly, I understand why. There's so many initiatives being thrown at schools these days, and some of those initiatives are somewhat contrary to doing things this way, solving problems collaboratively. Try, try again. Um, the stakes are too high for us to give up, and that's what the Lives in the Balance Conference is all about. But I think I'm going to call it a day for today. I don't think we have enough time for the one remaining email that I have. It's a it's a lengthy one, and I don't want to have you listening to fluff for the next six to seven minutes. Let's call it a day for today. We'll be back next week, hopefully with an interview with uh, one of the educators in Maine who's doing this in their buildings. And in the meantime, let me say goodbye for today. Talk to you next week. <laughs>